Hello, this is Bill Curley. And Holly Hudley. And welcome to the podcast In Between, which is an educational offering of St. Paul's United Methodist Church and Ordinary Life. Good morning. Good morning. It's not mm-hmm. like we haven't already been talking for. <laughs> I know. Uh, we love to, you know. Okay, I got, I got, I got a note. Um, so okay. this is, uh, I've already written pretty much what I'm going to do on Sunday. Uh-huh. Um, and tentatively right now, I'm calling it neither plain nor simple. Because uh-huh. <laughs> we frequently refer to the truth as plain and simple truth, and it's neither. Uh-huh. That's right. Yeah. Uh, well, I'm beginning. The, the, the opening line is This is my last Sunday to teach on the Grail story. Mm. That ought to get attention, right? Oh my God. Yeah, that's right. The pregnant pause. <laughs> Holly, I, you'll have to drag me away from the story, I think. And that's why I'm glad you're teaching the next Sunday. And I'm just going to be there to ask you questions or whatever mm-hmm. because I could do I could do six months on this story yeah I mean because you could spend um a lot of time on any one of the stages so to speak right um but you know if you want to distill it down to a simple fact the plain and simple truth um <laughs> it's this it is all the cycle of birth death rebirth right but uh, i was what i was thinking about is that you know um, emma Jung mm-hmm. spent 30 years studying the grail story mm. 30 years wow and didn't finish and didn't finish so i have a little story or a little um side note on that there was a guy i can't remember his name he was a mathematician and you know that the number pi right? 3.14, right? So at the beginning of right. So pi actually has no end. And over thousands of years, mathematicians have tried to find the end of pi to no avail. Because the truth is, is that there's no perfect circle, right? And pi has to do with the measurement of a circle. And circles are, they're, they're meant to be fluid containers. Anyhow, so this mathematician spends his whole life, his whole math life, trying to find the end of pi. He spends it in a cave, drawing number after number after number after number after number. He doesn't go outside. He doesn't eat. He doesn't sleep. He just tries to find the end of pi. What do you call that kind of life? Obsessive compulsive. A wasted life. A wasted life. We're studying these stories our entire lives. How old are you? You're 85 now? I am. You've been studying this story for 85 years, right? Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't consider it a wasted life. No. Well, I think what I'm trying to say is that um, if you only think that the answer is in this one story, Uh, it's a wasted life. 
right? That is a way but if you life, just yeah. live your life and try to become aware of the story operating in your life, it's not a wasted life, right? Don't spend all your time in the cave trying to find the end of pie. Instead, go out and marvel at all the circles that are imperfect in the world. <laughs> Yeah. You know. By the way, by the way, I, I'm. I think I'm not sure. I haven't finished writing for Sunday, but I think I might be quoting Jan Phillips' new book, "Finding the Own Right Own Ramp for Your Spiritual Practice," mm. or something like that. That's a, a. It's a new to me book that okay. she has, and I just started reading. It's so good. I, good. I'm so excited about the fact that 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 she's coming. So I got I got to purge two things, and mm -hmm. then I want to ask you. Uh, about your what we are going to do in a couple of weeks because right. I'm really curious about that um, I, I recorded and started watching the new Ken Burns series on the Holocaust mm -hmm. I haven't started yet but I yeah have you you know about it uh -huh. yep and and so um I learn, it, 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 this is one of the things that I find so exciting about being alive and being privileged to have the life and lifestyle that I have is mm -hmm. that I'm able to continue to learn and grow and that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. And that's a double-edged sword because some of the things you learn are really disturbing. Yeah. In watching the first episode of the Ken Burns show series on the Holocaust, I learned that Hitler got his idea for how to deal with the Jews from the way that we, in establishing this country, treated Native Americans. He thought that our idea of getting them off their own land and putting them in, as he put it, cages, mm -hmm. reservations, mm -hmm. was a great way to deal with people that you didn't like. Isn't that interesting? And then when America did finally get its courage up to confront some of the German officials about what they were doing to the Jews, the answer they got was one word, Mississippi. Hmm. You treat people in Mississippi just like we're treating the Jews. And they took much of their legal documentation for the treatment of Jews from Jim Crow laws in the South. Yeah. I didn't know either of those two things. The parallels um, between the paraf paraphernalia and the propaganda that existed during Jim Crow and Nazi Germany are extremely eye-opening. Yeah, it's not just parallels. Yeah. It's explicit connection. Yeah, yeah. It's um, it's it's really interesting. This well, it's actually just really sad. The this inability to kind of like see through our own shadows, right? I I think you know, America has such an idealized vision of itself. Um, in in general, I would say there are people who see right through it, but <laughs> but in general, America idealizes itself. And you know, ask anyone who's ever been oppressed or marginalized in this country. And they see right through it. They know, you know. Um, it's incredibly sad that we haven't sort of taken off that mask, I guess. Mm -hmm. um, 
James Baldwin has a great quote about that, um, taking off the masks that we live in. James Baldwin, one of my favorites, um, about taking off the mask we live in in order to truly see ourselves and the other. And he defines that as love. It's just that, that act of taking off the mask and being with what is. Okay, so I still, I'm sorry, did not hear you articulate. Who said that? James Baldwin. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So there's the the uh, the documentary that I try to get all the guys that I see uh, in counseling to watch is the mask you live in, mm-hmm. yeah, that's and a or the mask we live in, and, mm-hmm. and that's a that's a very powerful thing to do. So I'll read you the full quote. I just looked googled it. It says, "Love takes off the masks that we fear we cannot live without and know we cannot live within." I use the word love here, not merely in the personal sense, but as a state of being, or to use your favorite word, as a state of grace, not in the infantile American sense of being made happy, but in the tough and universal sense of quest and daring and growth. And I bet that's why you love that story so much, because it's full of quest and daring and growth. Mm -hmm. You know, and, you know, this idea that love is, is the pursuit of growth and vulnerability, you know, it has that sort of masculine feminine, it's quest and daring and growth, but it's also being vulnerable enough to reveal yourself. Mm -hmm. And, and it's the same is true for individuals as it is for nations, you know, that nations lack the ability to sort of self-examine in the same way that individuals do. Right. Um, you know, I'm listening to the, and I know we had a little conversation about this a couple of weeks ago to so much of this news about busloads and busloads and busloads of migrants being sent to other cities. What a mean trick. I don't, I don't want to uh, keep <clears throat> I don't want to keep drifting into the same conversation over and over and over and over again about my my deep concern about the perilous position our country is in, but our country is in a perilous position. And um, I think that, you know, there are voices. Somebody forwarded me today, somebody that you know and love a lot, Tom Doherty. sent to me a um, blog that was sent out by Dan Rather. He sent me the same thing. Oh, he did. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It's it's disturbing to read. I haven't read it yet. I haven't had the time to sit down and do it this morning, but yeah, I'm sure it is. It it, it was, Dan Rather was answering evidently some of his critics who said why are you keep talking about the same thing over and over and he said i keep talking about it because and then he lists these reasons and they're very valid mm-hmm. uh, we're in we're in we're in con- a deep a potentially very deep um place and uh We may be getting a comeuppance mm-hmm. as a country for how we have the foundation on which we have built, 
which mm -hmm. has been a lot of um, idealism that's been put over a, a set of serious lies. Mm -hmm. It's a lot of denial. A lot of denial. Yeah. And dishonesty, dishonesty. Yeah, it's, it's, it is completely dishonest. And that I think is, you know, I think for anyone who may just be realizing that, uh, it, it's a really scary place to find oneself, right? Um, to find that the things that you have believed about the place that you live and love are not true. Yeah. It's like discovering a family secret. It, it disrupts and, and totally shatters your world for a bit. Mm -hmm. And until you work with that family secret and kind of untangle it, <laughs> you know, and I think you've mm -hmm. told me before, family secrets always bubble up. It's just a matter of when. Right. And in this great sort of apocalyptic bubbling up, will we untangle the knots that have bound us? No, not just, and I'm not even talking about the, the literal knots that have bound people who have been physically and psychologically oppressed and marginalized. I'm talking about the knots that bind us, you and me, white people, to the culture of whiteness that keeps us perpetuating it. Mm -hmm. You know, we've got to untangle those knots too. You know, it's not for someone else's liberation that we need to jump into justice and change and politics, et cetera. It's for our own liberation. So one of the stories that Robert told mm -hmm. uh, was the story about the rainmaker. Mm. And uh, it's very similar to the Grail story, except it's much briefer. And all of these stories, all of them, and, and I'm, we're going to get into the feminine, uh, but all of them have a similar thrust, and that is <clears throat> that the kingdom and the people are, are, have fallen into disrepair. And, and uh, one of Robert's favorite words to use was muddled. They've been mm -hmm. muddled. And we have to get unmuddled, which in Jungian psychology is the process of individuation. Anyway, the, the, the kingdom is in disrepair. And uh, so the elders finally uh, decide that what they need to do is to send for the rainmaker who, to come and, and to help them because they're, they're experiencing the consequences of drought. So they have to raise a lot of money. The, the rainmaker is expensive. Mm -hmm. It's costly. There's that. That's one lesson: is that in order to regain our health, it will be costly. Mm -hmm. The rainmaker comes from a far off place, meaning there's truth to come from the outside in for mm -hmm. us. The rainmaker comes to the village and says, "I cannot do anything uh, until you first build me a place, and I will go into this little place and I will meditate." And I will get right with myself, and then I will do the ritual that will bring the rain. So the rainmaker, they do that. The rainmaker goes into the uh, dwelling that they prepared for him, and within like two days, the rains come, and the mm. crops and the cattle and the livestock and the people are all restored to good health. The rainmaker exits from his place, and the elders of the village say, "We would like to know how you did this." So that the next time we fall into disrepair, disrepair uh, we can do the same ritual. And the rainmaker said, I didn't do the ritual. What? But we have rain. He said, when I got here, I was so affected by the environment, I was not right inside. So when I went into the 
the abode you built for me. I spent all of that time trying to get right with myself. And when I did, the rains came. Hmm. That's There's the rainmaker story. Yeah. Well, it's it's beautiful because it's um, oh, and this is this is the challenge. I think it it is an incredibly individual move, right? Each individual must attend to their inner dwelling, right? And we must also learn to take that work into a community setting. It's, it's that, that, that tension of autonomy and embeddedness, right? Of, of individualism and collective. If we stay focused only on our individual process, we will forget to look out and say, oh, this too is part of me. You know, we're, we're really only able to understand ourselves in relation to others, what we are, so, what we are not, you know? So my, my, my um, professor of Old Testament at Harvard said that there are just two questions in the, in the Judeo-Christian tradition that you have to answer, just two. And the questions are, who are we and what are we to do? And what you just said is absolutely true. We cannot answer those questions until we answer them individually. And we do not answer them individually cor correctly unless they lead to the collective. Mm -hmm. And that's and it. Our, that individuals, our individual selves are informed by our communities, our collective, right? right. So it, there's always somebody else in the cave with us, even if they're not there. <laughs> Always. Well, and, and, and what no. I just thought is that, you know, if you answer the questions about who am I and what am I to do, and the answers come out in the context of love, honesty, and freedom, it might mean that you have to change your collective. Yeah. Yeah. And, and sometimes that's necessary. You know, I mean, sometimes we do have to make a choice to leave, right? That That is yeah. the hero's journey in part and the heroine's right. journey. But it's, it's coming back to self in a way that understands that even the thing that we left is part of us. And, and I think about this in terms of like a culture of an American culture of whiteness, which is we, may, we might never choose to leave America, right? But how do we leave behind the trappings of a culture of whiteness based on racism, superiority, individualism, capitalism, um, all the things that we've participated in? and still remain here, you know? So, uh, segue, yeah. how do we get, how do we get, uh, how do we move into talking about accessing, utilizing fem the feminine? Well, you know, some of this I think is a, is a mind space, right? The rainmaker comes and gets right with his mind. Um, part of what we have to get right with is the fact that the feminine has been ignored. She's not absent because she's never actually absent. I think I said last week, it, it is the container. The feminine is the container, it's the cave. It's the process, it's, it, it is the vessel through which we are born, reborn again and again and again, right? So she's never absent, but the mind shift that needs to happen is just acknowledging that, oh, she's right here. The feminine is right here. So that's part of it. That's step one. <laughs> mm -hmm. But I don't even think we've been able to do that. Instead, we have this over large masculine 
that even women or highly feminine men believe that they have to participate in in order to fit in. And so we run away from our own feminine in order to belong mm -hmm. because of the way that our society is set up. That's, mm -hmm. this is my belief, right? And, and so it's, it's, again, the first thing is, it's like an AA, I have a problem. <laughs> we have to first acknowledge the feminine is here. Mm -hmm. We can't run away from it. We just keep trying. She's still here, like holding, going, all right, all right, I'm trying to get you born. I am trying. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and we need to kind of turn around and go, I, I see you. So is there a, a, a story that you're going to lead mm -hmm. us into or through? Is there a resource you want us to read? Well, there's, uh, I am reading the book, She, um, and, and I do find it useful. These myths are, are still in our unconscious for a reason. And it's a really about um, um, Aphrodite and Psyche. Aphrodite is the mother-in-law to Psyche. Um, their conflict, Aphrodite's sort of jealousy that this new feminine way of being is coming into the world and she thwarts Psyche at every turn. And what Psyche has to realize is that she has to come into her own. She has to come into her own sort of voice, right? But it's based on the conflict between two women. And then Aphrodite does this funny thing where she kind of then helps Psyche get Eros back, Cupid, her son, uh, as a lover. And, it, it, and so she's both working against her and for her. And she's this kind of um, archetype of, of, of the deep, of this kind of this ocean, this, this Tihomic abyss, right? This kind of um, churning energy. Whereas Psyche is the energy that come of, of, of rain, dew, newness that comes from the heavens. So there's this old and new kind of swirling together, uh, this old traditional way of, of feminine and mothering and this new, um, uh, you know, beautiful, fresh way of being feminine and, and mothering. And the two do have to, you know, what has to happen is this is the shift where you've always explained this to me. We have, and in in ideally in our families, at least three generations. In, in your case, it's you, your children, and your grandchildren. Same for me. And at some point, I have to, you, you've shown me this with your hands, I have to come alongside my, my parents as an adult, right? I have to individuate, oh, so yeah. I have to come out from yeah. under them and come alongside. So that's kind of what this is about. Psyche coming alongside Aphrodite and not being oppressed by the sort of dominant, you know, mother-in-law type, right? But, but I think what's missing from this myth, and, and I don't know who wrote these myths originally, men, women, I imagine men, I don't know why I imagine men, but I do, is, is, this, is this kind of, I wanna say what's missing is the community of belonging. Psyche must go off by herself. And where's the community of belonging that sort of like welcomes her back in? And this, this particular element of the community of belonging that welcomes us back from our trials and tribulations is what we are missing because we are under the delusion that we have to do everything ourselves. And so we don't receive this sort of like soft ground of being that is in fact always holding us. We don't learn how to come back and ask for help. We don't learn how to come back and like be in community authentically. We still believe we're separate. 
And I think that's so deep in our minds that that, that piece of, oh, I'm, I'm not separate. Yes, the journey is solo, but I'm not alone. It is right. what, you know, we've been so taught that the hero's journey is a, is a lone ranger type of journey. And, and, and I really, really believe that we need to come back into this kind of beloved community into some kind of setting of being held. Well, the, the, the journey, even though um, as it was taught to me, um, and I think at our program is the, the, the man that I learned this kind of thing from, He's the one who said this solitary work we cannot do alone. Right. And, and, and the purpose of my life, if I'm true to the Grail story, is to serve the common good. Mm-hmm. It's not for my solo isolated benefit. It's mm-hmm. for the well-being of the world in which I live, and that's the community of people that I, I love and want to empower. So I guess that maybe like where there's some subtleties there, right? And to come and serve the community that you love. In what role, and I'm not you specifically, but in what role is the you playing, right? Is it as the um, charismatic leader? Or is it as a participant in this kind of, in this, you know, and I, I think our patriarchal model says we need the charismatic leader to come back and show the people the way forward. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, so, and this is where I think Jesus, the Jesus story is really beautiful. Like Jesus actually just said, no, it, it's, a, it's an egalitarian community here. Mm-hmm. What you have is as important as what I have. Don't cling to me because what you have is actually as fundamentally important as what I have. All right. Right. So, and, and, yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think it's an incredibly important conversation to have because in a time where we suffer from the lack of justice, equity, and equality, mm-hmm. we really need to pay attention to what exactly you're saying about how communities function and operate. Organizational expert people, Tavistock people, for example, will say very clearly, you can't have a leaderless community. Yes. Yeah, that's that. Go ahead. And you can have a multi-leaderful community. Right. And, yeah. and that is something that has to be made explicit in mm-hmm. the function of the community. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that if there's six of us gathered here in this office of mine and we say, oh, let's all go get in the van and go get coffee, somebody's mm-hmm. going to drive. Yep. And that's going to be okay with the other five people. Mm-hmm. And hopefully that leadership is something that can be fluid and passed around in the function of a well-functioning community. Right. In a well-functioning community, we honor each other's gifts. And you right. may be a better driver than I am. You know what I mean? So it, it's like we honor each other's gifts and, and that actually is leader full. But honoring each other's gifts means also coming in and going, here's my gift. Here's what I know I'm good at. In my experience, what tends to happen, and as a woman, I, I've experienced this 
so many times, most of my bosses have been men. Here's my gift. I want to bring this. This is where I know that I thrive. Thanks so much for your opinion, but we're gonna do it this way. So the, the patriarchal model is so strong. And, and like a, the driving the driving illustration um, on family vacations as a, you know, when I was old enough to drive cars that we would rent on family vacation, I'm talking about with my family of origin, I was never invited to drive. <laughs> my dad is so reluctant to give the keys over to a woman. Okay. Then he would, then my sister got married very young. He would always give the keys to my then brother-in-law. Okay. He's almost never given the keys to Josh. Do what you will with that. Hmm. I'm being literal, but I'm also being metaphorical here. Yeah, yeah. I notice in my in my daughter's family, um, my daughter always does the driving. Hmm. Always. So she may have the gift of being the better driver she, and her husband is able better, to acknowledge that. <laughs> yeah, she's a better driver, no, no doubt yeah. about it. And he would yeah. acknowledge that. I just can't think of many men who would say, my wife's a better driver than I am. <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Because that, that really wounds a man's, uh, yeah. you know. Yeah, there's something in that, right? I mean, it's funny that we thought of the, the analogy of driving <laughs> as the one we're gonna work with here. It was spontaneous, but... Um, I just think it's it's a so, probably pretty apt one. <laughs> okay, yeah. I want I want to come I want to come back, and I'm basing this on something that you said. I think the last time we talked, or maybe the time before, about about this. She is written by a guy. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. I, I I have not reread she. I promise I will before that Sunday. I'll read it. I'll start reading it this week. Mm -hmm. Robert's books are really to read. I mean, they're quick reads. Yeah. They take yeah. a while. No, it's, and it's not long. It's not very long. Yeah. No, no. So do you, do you have something other than she for us to maybe begin to look at before mm -hmm. the first Sunday in October? I'm also looking at this um, website of a woman named Maureen Murdoch, who wrote a a uh, book called The Heroine's Journey, A Woman's Quest for Wholeness. I have not read that book. Um, I'm also, so, and she wrote it in response to Joseph Campbell's model. Okay. And she, in a similar sort of multi-step phase, has this process of the heroine's journey. And it ends with, um, it, it begins with separating from the feminine. And almost from like birth, we're separated from the feminine, even as we, that's physical, that's literal. We are separated from the feminine once we're born because we come out of our mother's womb, right? Mm -hmm. um, and, but, and as we grow, especially in this culture, we learn to identify with the masculine, right? Mm -hmm. it's, it's so dominant. And I think it's been dominant for generations and generations, not just in this country, but worldwide, globally, right? Um, and once we identify with the masculine and we get this sort of ego boost of, um, of, of being successful, of being seen, of, of arriving somewhere in the traditional sense of you've made it, we, we hit that we knock on the glass ceiling. And then we realize that we've lost something in that process. We've lost, we've lost something essential. 
in the process of knocking against the glass ceiling. And so we have the descent. This is the, the dark wood. This is the cave. This is the, I'm missing something of the self here. And so in experiencing that, and I, I think this is almost exactly where I am, is, is this longing to reconnect with the feminine. And so we come out of the cave with this longing. I, I want to connect with more collaboration, community connection. Um, and, and this is where I think that um, Aphrodite and Psyche myth could be really relevant is in this process of healing the mother-daughter split, that original split from the feminine. That doesn't mean that every mother-daughter relationship can be healed. It doesn't mean that some don't need really good boundaries. It just means that we have to heal that which is broken about it within us, right? We have to become our own good mother, if you will. Mm -hmm. And we can heal our own mother wounds. Everybody has a mother wound. Everybody has a father wound. And you've taught me this, that everybody can heal their own inner child's needs to be mothered and fathered, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. um, and then we heal the wounded masculine. What aspects of the masculine showed up over large in our life that we can put to bed now? We can say, thank you so much for serving me. I'm putting you to bed. And I want to integrate the healthy masculine with the healthy feminine. Mm -hmm. And then we're reborn. Well, that, that is exciting and energizing for me to hear. Yeah, yeah. And I imagine that you are probably being older than I am and a very self-aware and self-creative person, probably in that part of integrating your masculine and feminine. And you're, I hear you a lot, this longing to, to really um, connect with, point out, even defer to the feminine, right? Mm -hmm. um, and how's that going in your own being of that integration of masculine and feminine? energies you know well i you know i mentioned to you that i'd started reading this new to me jan Pilt's book we just started mm -hmm. this morning mm -hmm. and one of the things that that i think is so exciting about my encounter with people like her and michael morewood and jim finley and other people that i have had as teachers and guides along the way is there is so much more to learn and experience and to uh, be uh, in this journey. That it's not something mm -hmm. that you can ever say, oh, well, I've done that. I'm done with it. And now I'll just sit back and watch TV. It's yeah. just, oh, wow, there's so much. I never knew there was this room to explore in this mansion, you know? That's right. That's right. And that's like why I told you the story about the mathematician at the very beginning. There's so much more than the story of Parsifal to explore this story because you're exploring it in your own life like that you know it's right. just the right yeah yeah and the it's amazing to me like this idea of like the vulnerability of taking off the masks because it is vulnerable and we'll feel like some naked small child set up on what, a stage what what mm -hmm. uh, before we go what is your evaluation recommendation of the book women who run with the wolves? I, I really like it. Um, it's one that you can kind of read out of order and sections as you're interested in because each one is sort of about a different myth, a different archetype. 
Uh Um, And then it goes through the various cultural myths within that archetype. So, you know, you might have like a Scandinavian myth or a Germanic myth or uh, a Native American myth about the, um, uh, about the crone. Okay. And uh, so I, I really like it. I think she's a, she's a wonderful writer. She's, um, and it's, it's, and it's dense. So just take it one bite at a time. Okay. All right. I'm looking forward to it. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. Taking you on a hero. I gotta go now. All right. All right. Bye.